Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. On this podcast, we share stories and conversations around spiritual care, companionship, and contemplative practice across a diverse range of traditions and experiences. Spiritual companions support others on their spiritual journeys through life. Spiritual companions are welcoming and present with those they companion, listening and responding without judgment. And spiritual companions are contemplative and honor silence as a spiritual practice. You can learn more about our work at our website, sdiworld.org. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app. You could give us a like or even write us a review. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in finding a spiritual companion, please check out our resource on our website, The Seek and Find Guide, a database of over 7,000 spiritual directors, chaplains, and life coaches from around the world who are available to companion with you on your own spiritual journey. The Seek and Find Guide is available on our website, sdiworld.org. On this podcast, we share a real diverse range of stories and practices involving spiritual companionship. And where I get really excited is when people are creative and inventive with the ways in which spiritual companionship is expressed and practiced. So it's with deep joy that I present this episode to you, the intersections of spiritual companionship and role-playing games. Frederica Helmier talks with Rabbi Menachem Cohen whose work and research involves the use of role-playing games, of which the most well-known is Dungeons & Dragons, and how these games can be utilized as a medium for spiritual companionship. Rather than playing out a mythical character, the player is actually able to put something of themselves into the character, or even test out some characteristics of one's true nature that perhaps have been repressed or hidden from one's everyday life. The role-playing game then becomes a safe space for trying out traits and ethics that one might desire to live out in their actual lives. Rabbi Menachem is presenting a workshop on this topic at our 2020 conference in Santa Fe, which you can check out by registering at sdievents.org. And Rabbi Menachem's own website is whatmakesyoucomealive.net. That's an awesome URL. Uh, So I am here today with Menachem Cohen. Menachem is a rabbi and a spiritual director, amongst many other things, who's based in Chicago. And I'd like to start by inviting you, Menachem, to talk a little bit about um, who you are and the the way that you found yourself in the world of spiritual direction or spiritual companionship. Sure. Well, I 
often start by saying when I was 11 or 12, my mom tells me I used to talk about being a rabbi. So it's kind of been there for a long time. And as a rabbi, if I boil it down to the core of what I do is always to be with people one-on-one and in small groups on their spiritual journeys. You know, I did the ritual and the life cycle events, but really the focus was on being with people in that spiritual way. So over the years, I started learning about spiritual direction. And I'm 50 now, and a few years ago, um, I asked myself, you know, where do I want to be when I'm 50? And I realized that two of my passions, which were role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons, which we'll talk about more in a bit, um, my passions were role-playing games and being with people in their spiritual journeys. So I decided to go back to school when I went to the um, Institute for Pastoral Studies at Loyola University here in Chicago to get a graduate certificate in spiritual direction. And so I graduated with that in May, but I've, you know, I've been doing, I've been a rabbi since 2003. So I've been doing the work kind of unofficially, you know, all for 15, 16 years now. And what, where was that, where is that motivation coming from, do you think, as a, as a young boy uh, to become a rabbi and one that clearly continued and um, led to you becoming an ordained rabbi? I remember thinking about magic when I was younger. You know, because I played Dungeons and Dragons, I got to be a wizard, you know, and cast magic spells. So I think it's just an inclination for a long time to, you know, experience more. I often joke that um, my mom was a social worker, my dad was a teacher, and I've, you know, kind of took up both their their mantles in becoming a rabbi. I've always been interested in um, making the world a better place, doing what we call tikkun olam, repair of the world. And then... I've done a lot of activism in my life. You know, I was in, involved in the Occupy movement here in Chicago. And you know, I sometimes find God by putting my fist in the air. Um, but I also really found that the, the best way I can help make the world a better place is by working with individuals, helping them realize their true selves. You know, if, if we only have one sermon, which I'm not sure if every clergy only does, but they say we only have one sermon, Mine would be that our only purpose in life is to be our true selves. And I can do that with people through the, the medium of spiritual direction, spiritual mm-hmm. companionship. Your ministry, Menachem, has taken you um, to a couple of different places, but you shared with us that you have spent some time doing outreach with uh, homeless and or LGBTQ youth in Chicago. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Sure. I I worked at the night ministry for almost 13 years. Uh, I was on the streets and in youth centers. You know, unfortunately, if you work with homeless youth, you're by definition working with a large population of LGBTQ youth. You know, there's a much higher rate, something like 40% of youth coming to youth shelters identify as queer in one way or another. So, um, yeah, the idea there was also we're not case managers. We are there doing what the agency called, and we call a ministry of presence, to be present with people, building relationships. Instead of saying, hey, sign up for this program, sign up for that program, let me tell you about this. We could say, hey, we have these programs, but first, are you hungry? Let's talk. How are you doing? You know, build that relationship before we really do the service. Or the relationship is the service, the ministry, you know, that, that is the ministry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's talk about role-playing games. I am really excited about this conversation. 
when we received our influx of workshop proposals for Santa Fe, for our, work, our uh, conference in Santa Fe next April, we got a lot this year. And the first thing that we typically see is the title of the workshop. And I think what you had proposed for your title is Dungeons, Dragons, and Divinity, the use of role-playing games for spiritual companionship. And this was so intriguing because this uh, had not, as far as I know, been part of the typical traditional STI mm -hmm. wheelhouse. And um, I, I, I have to admit, at first I was a little bit skeptical. My experience with Dungeons and Dragons was as an observer of my two older brothers when I was younger, kind of right. watching them get lost in these games and just not understanding it and not relating to it very well. Uh, and I did not see the connection right off the bat. And as we dug deeper into and read your application, it became really evident that this is uh, innovative and intriguing and relevant to spiritual companionship for our times. So I want to invite you to start by just defining for folks who may not know, what is the difference between a tabletop role-playing game and say like a board game or say, uh, I don't know, just sort of imaginative play? that young people might do. I, I often start by saying, imagine like Lord of the Rings. You know, imagine you were a character in Lord of the Rings. So you got to be a wizard or a warrior or a ranger like Aragorn. And you got to make but your own character with their own name. And you got to invent this person who has a backstory and personality quirks and abilities and skills and equipment. And you take this person and you go on adventures with them. Uh, and usually there's two main ways. One, one main way is there's, a there's several players. One of them is called the game master or the dungeon master. And they've either created a world or read up on a world that was ma made by the, one of the game design people. And they say, they describe the world. They tell you what's going on. And then you say, this is what I do. So maybe, you know, the party group of explorers would say, we want to go to a bar. So the dungeon master could say, well, there's, a, there's two bars in town. One is you know, this bright, colorful place, and one's this dark and dingy place. And the characters say, we go to this one. You know, we, go, we go to the dark and dingy one. The dungeon master would explain, um, you walk into the bar, there's four patrons in there, and there's a bartender who's you know, um, chugging down on a bottle as you walk in. You know, so they give you, the, and then you just say, well, we go up to the bartender. And the, we say, we want four ales. And the bartender, the dungeon master might say, the bartender ignores you and keeps drinking and you know, belches before he finally says, you know, four ales. Ah, okay. You know, and so you use funny voices and, or not funny voices, but you use different voices to portray the different characters. And in some adventures, you know, you're trying to gain treasure or slay the monsters. Other ones, you're trying to um, overthrow the evil empire or befriend a dragon. And you, you go on these adventures, you get experience points, you get more, more abilities and more powers. Some games also play where there is no dungeon master, no game master, and all the players create the world together and, and you know, decide as a team what the world looks like and where they're going to go and what they're going to do. So is the main difference between a, a tabletop role-playing game and a board game that you embody a persona, you embody a character, and you act as that character throughout the game. Yes, you, you create this whole persona, this whole personality, and you can either say, my character does, or you can say in your character's voice, you know, 
I sneak around quietly, you know, and open and open the door trying to be silent, you know, and so you can speak as your character and you have this one persona that you carry. Well, you, people have different characters, but you, you move through the game and through several games often with the same person, mm-hmm. same character. And then does the game offer gu- guidance or parameters or rules? Is there some structure that the game is imposing so that this is not just a group of people getting together and saying, I am this character and now let's have an imaginative kind of free for all. There are a wide variety of rules. We talk about how crunchy a game is. Some games use a lot of rules and a lot of charts and a lot of tables and you roll dice to determine a lot of things about your character and how much money they have or where they're from. Um, some rules are very much open where it is people sitting around a table telling a story with a loose framework of... So Dungeons and Dragons is a pretty high crunchy game in that scale where you roll, you say, I want to climb the wall and you roll dice to see if you climb the wall. Or I want to walk quietly and you roll dice to see if you actually sneak past the people. Or I, I, I swing my sword at the uh, orc and you roll a dice to see if you hit the orc or not. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of throwing games. in this element of like things that are beyond our control in life and the dice represents that. There's certainly an element of chance and things we can't control. Uh-huh. Definitely. So I wanna ask briefly, Menachem, when, when I was exposed to specifically Dungeons and Dragons as a child, I was also immersed in a relatively conservative evangelical church context. And this game had a stigma in that mm-hmm. space um, that I, I never fully understood exactly what the issue was, but it was it was clearly conveyed to me that this was not part of the the sort of Christendom culture that I was in. I think there was sort of whisperings that this was connected to the occult somehow. Have yeah. you heard that as well? And what, what's your response to that? I mean, there it was mostly back in the '70s and '80s when this was going on. You know, the satanic panic or the moral panic, the idea that this game would introduce your children to devil worship. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had very little of that, thankfully, in my life. I grew up not in a conservative area in Chicago land. But yeah, that concern was definitely there. I think it's less so now. I do remember people talking about churches buying hundreds of the books to burn. Mm. But the idea was that since you're talking about, you're encountering demons and devils, and there are pantheons of gods, in the Dungeons and Dragons world. So either you know, the Greek pantheons or ones that they invented for purposes of the game. And you have characters who worship these gods to get their abilities. Uh-huh. Some, of the, some of the character classes get their magic by worshiping gods. So help, us, help me to understand now how um, role-playing games can function as a, as a tool for greater self-awareness in the context of spiritual right. companionship. So back in the 90s, I played a character named Karen Woodwalker. He's a, was what we call a psionicist. He had mental magic. And I found he was talking his way out of all these situations without having to go to combat or use his abilities. And I was like, oh, that's my character. That's not me. I'm quiet. I'm more reserved. But then one day it clicked. That is me. I'm the one saying those words that get my character out of combat and out of sticky situations all the time. And I realized that I was developing some some skills that I didn't think I had. Um, and I think we all do this to some extent in our characters. So if I look back, I was pl- exploring my sense of my own gender through characters 30 years ago. I had a character named Alan Dre who went by the pronouns Dre. 
and was, I didn't have the terms intersex or um, non-binary at the time, so I used hermaphrodite. Um, but the character who couldn't tell if they were male or female. And this was, you know, 30 years ago, maybe when I just started, you know, understanding the world of feminism and gender equality um, and LGBTQ world, I started thinking, what if we were more intentional about this? What if we intentionally put questions we have about the world into our characters or explored what it's like to, for example, um, I've played a number of characters the last several years who have... 100% blind faith in the deity they serve. They serve without question. You know, as a clergy person, as a human, I have questions and I'm examining my, my sense of faith and spirit and is there a God and what is God in the world? So by playing a character who didn't have any questions, it allowed me to explore what does that mean, huh. you know, to have faith and to believe in something higher and a higher power. Support for this podcast comes from Spiritual Companionship for Our Times, SDI's annual gathering of spiritual companions happening in Santa Fe, New Mexico, April 23rd through 26th, 2020. Registrations are now open with super early bird pricing available through September 15th. We'll be celebrating SDI's 30th anniversary and charting the road ahead as we seek to welcome more and more people to the transformational gifts of spiritual companionship and to make this healing modality available to every person on the planet. Learn more now about our annual conference at www.sdievents.org. And now here's part two of our conversation. Now, this this is interesting because you had enough sort of self-awareness, maybe it was a subconscious, to know that there was a part of you that wanted to dabble in embodying a character who had blind faith. But that seemed to sort of come from you somehow. It wasn't the dungeon master or some, um, some over, overarching uh, part of the game that was saying, now Menachem, I, I, see, I see you needing to kind of move into this character and experience that. Right. Uh, so is that is that something that we that you can that you invite the people you're spiritually companioning to kind of notice in themselves that there's something in you that wants to inhabit a different type of person? I think there is something in a lot of us that we want to explore. I mean, how often do we identify with characters in movies or in books? You know, the difference a game gives us it allows us to actually interact as that character and create the story instead of just being a receiver of the story. Um, as right, it was myself with those inclinations. There's a growing body of work and research now and people using role-playing games for educational purposes, for social skills and therapeutic groups. There's a lot of people, particularly um, there's a group called Game to Grow in Seattle that's developed recently their own role-playing game for use of, in groups with young people on the spectrum. So there's all this work being done. And I've been spiritually inclined, thought, can we use these games to do the spiritual exploration and spiritual discovery? So uh, a friend and a colleague of mine, David Weasley, who also went to the Loyola program several years before me, and I were talking, he did some exploration when he was getting his spiritual direction certification. And there's a couple things we do. This is what I'm leading up to is 
we all have this, we, a lot of us have this inclination to do this work, but with the games, we can make it intentional. So when we played Dungeons and Dragons with David, we started each game with some silence, and then we introduced ourselves as our person, our player names, then our, introduced ourselves as our character, and the group welcomed us in both ways. And then we would talk about some intentions or thoughts we had about the game or maybe a dream we had that, that we thought was relevant to the game. You know, sort of like goals for the game. And then we'd play for a few hours. And at the end, we would have some more silence and we would have a chance to reflect on the game. We would answer questions. I think we had three questions were, which were, what did I appreciate about my play in the game? What did I appreciate about someone else's play during the game? And what am I going to take with me when I leave the game? Mm-hmm. And then we would do the name thing in reverse, right? We'd say our character name first, and then our player name, sort of moving back into the regular space. And then we maybe have another few moments of silence. Mm-hmm. So if we bring intention to the games, we can take that impulse, that desire to explore, and do it as if we're meditating or seeing a spiritual director. This is fascinating. What can you offer to folks who uh, have never played a tabletop role-playing game? They don't have access, as far as they know, to a community of people who could um, who could teach them. Uh, they don't know where to begin. But this sounds kind of intriguing. What's a what's a first step folks might take to uh, experiment with this? Well, they've made Dungeons and Dragons the fifth edition much easier to jump into. They have starter kits and they have abilities to, uh, they have ways, they've explained it well. There's also, uh, there's a thousands and thousands of what we call indie games out there and small gatherings all over the country in, in small towns. Uh, so people can search for these gaming conventions and go to a game convention where there's um, people running, there's a, my favorite thing to do at a game convention is go to what they call indie games on demand where you show up and there's 12 games to choose from and you get to pick, and there's a lottery system, you get to pick the game and often you get to play the game with a creator. There's also a lot of online opportunities these days. There's a service called Roll20 where people can play online with people all over the world. You know, just like we're talking today. So if you have maps on the screen instead of pictures of each other or you know, the main thing in the middle will be the map of the adventure. Um, say it's the barriers to entry are a lot easier than they used to be. Uh, there's lots and lots of YouTube videos and podcasts um, of, of people act called actual play, people playing Dungeons and Dragons and other games. Will Whedon from Star Trek and uh, Stand By Me movie, he's one of the most famous geeks in the world and he has a video podcast he does of different games. Um, one Shot Podcast plays many games and previews them and puts them on you know a line available so you could watch people playing games and get instructions online Mm. have you ever observed someone having difficulty returning to their non-character to their their i don't know what we would call it their regular selves do you ever see folks who um there's something so compelling or so appealing about this character they inhabit that 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 the the lines get blurred and they begin walking around their daily life as this character or with elements of it. I mean, we talk about the responsibility we have in therapeutic gaming and spiritual gaming to help people um, 
there's a way of gaming called LARPing, live action role-playing games, where you actually will wear costumes and move around in physical space as your character. And a lot of them, uh, Nordic LARPing in particular, have specific mechanisms in place at the end of the game to de-character, to come back into your, your, your default, your day-to-day persona. Hmm. I haven't seen people, you know, that was part of the scare back in the 80s. You know, there was a, a movie where they had a character who supposedly disappeared into his, a player, you know, a character in the movie who disappeared into his game character. Um, I haven't encountered it myself, you know, any more than, you know, people want to be Aragorn or, you know, want to be the Flash, you know, or any superhero they see, you know, the, I haven't seen anything in, in, in the more uh, clinical levels, mm-hmm. but I understand that that does happen. And we talk a lot about when we go to conventions, our responsibilities um, when running these games. I have two young children and I, I watch them play and it's so easy for them to inhabit a character um, to, to take on a, a persona and they might be drawing from something that they've seen in a movie or gleaned from a book. Um, but they're really, their imaginations are so open and so young and free. Um, it just seems to come so easily. And then it seems to be much more difficult for adults to have that same kind of imaginative freedom to um, embody a character. And it sounds like gaming is this portal to tapping into something from our childhood that was so easy um, to just be someone different than than us. Um, it's a, it seems really intriguing, uh, Menachem. It gives us such permission to play again. And play is how we learn, right? We explore the world and we grow by playing as young children. You know, this is a way that we can continue that play. Yeah. So for folks who are able to join us in Santa Fe for our SDI conference next year, tell us a little bit about what they could expect to experience in your workshop. Well, a little bit of it will be lecture style. I'll be telling you about the field of research and about the work I'm doing. Um, but I'm also going to be sharing, it's going to be a little experiential. And I'm working on two projects right now. One is I'm using Dungeons and Dragons to do spiritual discovery groups. Um, also, there's a game called Dream Chaser that um, a guy I know made. There's 2,000 copies of the game out there. But the idea of the game is the players come and they get note cards and they write on the note card a goal or a dream. So, for example, I mentioned earlier, uh, explore, uh, befriend a dragon, overthrow the empire, live in the woods. And then the group of players will pick one of those as a goal. So let's say they pick um, befriend a dragon as their goal. Then each decide what their role is going to be around that. Someone says, I'm going to be a hunter-gatherer. I'm going to be a linguist. I'm going to be an astronaut. So now I know there's an astronaut and a dragon in the game. And then they say, along the way, I would like it. I get these milestones of things that would make the game fun and interesting for me. I want to find my long-lost sister, make a magic sword, learn a new language. And you put those in order around the dream, and that's the adventure. So as soon as I discovered this game, it's by a guy named Pete Petrusha. Um, I saw you could, if you can, with intention, you can make the goal personal, right? And uh, talking to Pete and I began to run, I helped edit part of the book and I beta tested the game and I run it at conventions. Pete asked me last year to be lead writer on a second book for the game designed for therapists and spiritual directors to use with their clients. 
So I've been working on that book for a while now. Um, I just went to a convention called Metatopia a few weeks ago where I play tested the part, character creation part of that, that game. And my goal is to have a way to continue play testing that game and using it with people at the, who come to the workshop uh, to create characters and do a little bit of seeing what it might be like to use a role-playing game in a section of spiritual companionship, spiritual direction. That was a long answer to that question. That was great. I, I think that folks who show up to this workshop might um, really walk away with some very unexpected and innovative tools to use as they companion others uh, in, their, in their spiritual journey. I hope so. And I hope it, I expect it will also further my understanding of how to use these games, you know, role-playing games in spiritual direction. So Menachem, if folks want to learn a little bit more about tabletop gaming and role-playing games and spirit's connection to spiritual companionship, where do you suggest that, that, they, that they go? Well, I have a website in development. It's whatmakesyoucomealive.net. There's also a couple of Facebook groups. Uh, Geek Therapy is one of them. There's not a lot about spirituality out there. It's, it's a burgeoning field. There's a handful of people I found in my research doing this sort of work. So. Well, thank you, Menachem, for taking some time to, to join us today and tell us about your, your walk and what excites you, what makes you feel fully alive, and how you can bring that to our community of spiritual companions. Thank you. It was my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to meeting you all in April. This is Matt Whitney with Spiritual Directors International. Thanks again for listening. Your time and your presence here are deeply appreciated. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. To learn more about spiritual companionship and ways that you can plug in and join our community, visit us at our website at www.sdiworld.org. Thank you. Blessings and peace on your day. And may you share blessings and peace to others. Thank you.